Welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Southwest Washington's number one show for real estate news and information. Without further ado, here are your hosts and a couple of guys who as busy realtors and successful brokerage owners know a thing or two about real estate. Steve Nassar of Premier Property Group and Joe Fistolo of Soldera Properties. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's been a little while since our last podcast, but we have a great, great show for you today. We are on episode number 154 on a gorgeous sunny day in the Pacific Northwest. And we're really excited about our guest today, our guest host, who started a a business out of need and it's flourished. And introducing him will be my co-host, Steve Nassar. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Yes. So let me give you a little backstory. So Anthony, who uh, Anthony Taylor Weber is a fellow member at Twalton Country Club. And recently, I want to say two months ago, give or take, I was in a tournament. We were paired together. I did not know Anthony prior to this. And by the way, Anthony is a very solid golfer. He's somewhere around scratch, if I'm not mistaken. Very good golfer. We ended up winning the tournament. I think our team took first place. We did very well that day. But along the way, Anthony and I started chatting and he has he had obviously ties to the real estate industry. And it's not just his current gig and his current company. But prior to that, we'll go into that a little bit as we as we unpack a little bit about Anthony today. He had some ties to the industry and he actually has a product that at the time I literally had just had a client of mine inquire about a client of mine had bought a, a large house and property. Well, not it's not a large house, but it's a large property in Lake Oswego off Country Club Road. And they were asking about putting some type of ADU structure in the back and how that would improve value and what what it would do. And we had a great conversation about it. I encouraged them to do that. And they asked me if I had any um, recommendations of a direction to look for that. I initially said no. I meet Anthony at this tournament. And I, within days of that, introduced him by email. I also was aware of Anthony because I had just gone to the 2023 Street of Dreams. And unbeknownst to me at the time, that was Anthony's company on display there with ADUs and and freestanding structures that were there, you know, for people to see and experience and kind of all that fun stuff. So without further ado, and we're going to go into all of this through our interview today. Welcome to the show, Anthony Taylor Weber. And I will also add, eat told me at the time, he said, I have a podcast. He has a podcast. And if you, if for those of you who are watching on video live stream, you can see that he, he's a pro. He, he kind of is putting me and Joe to shame. He's got some kind of, you know, very intricate studio with a great background and all sorts of exciting stuff going on and microphone, headphones, everything. The, the whole world. Eggshell, sound eating wall yep. coverings and mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So welcome to the show, Anthony. Thank you well, for yeah. making the time and joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. What is the name of the podcast? Just so yeah. I can... So it's it's Outdoor Office uh, Podcast. So, I mean, we can go through our website at outdoor-office.com. You can find it on most of the media streams uh, where you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, kind of wherever. It's all through all those platforms. Okay. But if you look up Outdoor Office Podcast, that's right on there like that. 
yeah, we're, we're like, we're faking it to make it. That's why we, that's how we look at our podcast. So we, for us, it's more of an entertaining way to kind of introduce people to the company first, but then beyond that, it's my wife and I, so my wife, Jamie, she's on the podcast with me co-hosting it. And we talk about just different topics. So just like you guys go through, talk about real estate world. We talk about some of this, but we also, frankly, last week we had our two boys on as special guests because we wanted to talk about who we are. And, you know, we're, we're a very, we're a small agile company. We're very family oriented. So, you know, we're really trying to introduce people to who we really are genuinely and try to be as authentic as we can. And that's kind of the direction of the podcast. So there's going to be some topics on there, some guests that we'll have on that talk specifically about maybe their experience with us versus what they had to try to find prior. You know, you had mentioned one of your clients was looking for something like this and, I would say probably half my job is still just educating people on what it is that we are and then telling people what we're not. And then we kind of let them decipher whether or not it's a great solution for them. But yeah, so mm-hmm. that's kind of the podcast. That's kind of the direction it goes. We've had a few hot buttons. You know, I think the last one prior to our boys being on was should a husband and a wife or should a spouse or a partner work together? That was the whole topic of the show. What was the verdict? Well, in the first like five seconds, she goes, you better answer this correctly. So I said, oh, okay. Well, it seems like I have a biased opinion here, but <laughs> oh, uh, it's, we we love it. You know, for her and I, we're, we're very, very good friends on top of, you know, being married, but the company started with her and I, you know? So, I mean, I know you had asked about, you know, kind of how did we get going, but you know, it was, it was built truly out of necessity. It wasn't a job opportunity. It wasn't a way to make money. It was something that we looked at and said, you know, we need this for us. And it just, happen to be some other people needed it too. So that's so that's kind of where we always foundationally look at the company for her and I working together. But, you know, I mean, the jobs, you know, when you own your own business takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort and having her around and having my kids involved, it, it's a benefit to me. You know, it allows me to see them on a regular basis and we kind of separate duties a little bit too. So we try not to overlap each other too much. And yeah, so she's kind of behind the scenes, the one operating a lot of the podcast and you know, for us, that's why we are very amateur hour when it comes to this, but you know, we love it. Whenever we're asked a question, my wife and I, where I get that look where it's like, Hey, you know what? You better answer this right. And I'm like, okay, yep. We're going to answer it. I'm going to let my lovely wife answer it first. And then you kind of have the direction that you need to go. So you do the right answer. Yeah. You're never in trouble. Right. But Mm -hmm. that's great. I mean, and I kind of want to hear a little bit more about how your company small. Let's start with your background before I, we, we, we will get to that. Tell us about what you did before that though, Anthony, okay. start yeah. with your background. Cause I, it's interesting and it's something that our, our listeners can relate to. Yeah. So, I mean, even prior, but what you know is that, I mean, I'll get into that real quick, but I worked in defense for about a decade uh, with the department of defense. So I worked in that field for, for quite some time, came out around of that. Here. Around uh, here. Locally, yeah, sure. So I was kind of based out of here and did a lot of traveling for that. So specialized in unmanned aircraft, presenting it to some larger, larger fields out there. So I worked a lot with the Naval Special Warfare Group. So military and the Navy is very close to my heart. So I always kind of start with some of that. But moving beyond that, after all that was done, my father, I don't even know if you knew this or not, but he was in real estate for 35 years. And so Jeff Taylor Weber, he died a few years ago, but he, he was in real estate 
I mean, almost since the inception of Twalt and it felt like when it really kind of grew up. And so I uh, worked with some local builders in there, kind of made a name for himself along that. And that's where I grew up. So I was always kind of around real estate transactions, working with clients, you know, the typical, you know, buyer seller relationships that you have to have, you know, none of that is taken lightly. And so after defense, you know, I really didn't want to get into real estate, frankly. You seem like you'd be great. I knew too many people in the field already. I think the reality was my approach was how can I help the people I already know? And I've been in construction. I was in construction since I was 18 in in one way, shape or form. So I, I came from that world, built new homes, remodels, additions, all sorts of different fields. And home inspections was kind of a dying breed, frankly. You know, it was a lot of you know, no offense to the to the world, but a lot of older guys who are kind of tired of crawling on roofs and going into crawl spaces and getting dirty. And I had a home inspection on our own personal house and didn't really go great, you know, frankly, when I bought it. And, you know, so for me, it was, well, how do I get back into that field? And so I, with my knowledge of construction and how things are supposed to be, and then my real estate background, literally, I used to do open houses with my dad. I used to, you know, literally would sit in on transactions. So your guys' world, I'm far more familiar with of an unlicensed real estate agent or broker than I probably should know. But it was it was to my benefit, I think, when I spoke to other agents or realtors who were out there who were looking for someone they could trust with their clients, frankly, is how I positioned it. And so a lot of my a lot of my knowledge was passed into how to help the clients and build that relationship so they could make an informed decision, right? I always approached it with a different perspective where frankly, there's a lot of inspectors that are out there that kind of get on their high technical horse, so to speak, right? They get real, you know, if they were an electrician, they get real dive into the the electrical knowledge and terminology and you gotta do this, you gotta do that. And it's like they they approach things sometimes with a little more like life and death situation where it's it's made out to be a really big deal that can be something that's a fairly small fix you know, you know mm-hmm. and 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 does that determine whether or not you should buy the home or not but buying real estate from my perspective is a very emotional purchase right mm-hmm. it's very deeply ingrained to a lot of people you're talking about their livelihoods their families you know you have to be able to tap into that and i think a lot of brokers and agents that i worked with they appreciated the fact that I knew that and that I understood my approach talking to their clients, which is who they are, about things that may be, quote, wrong with the house may not necessarily be deterrence from killing a deal. You know, I think that the, the term was always the deal killer inspector, right? The term was always the guy who's going to walk in and shoot down everything or tell you the life is over and you can't buy this house and no one wins, right? It also doesn't mean you're the guy who just lets everything slide through and you don't care. And then guess what? The homeowner who's now the new buyer is pissed at you, the agent, for for everything that's gone on. So, you know, for me, I I really went in with more of a caretaking approach and knowledge base, trying to educate the buyer on their new potential purchase. The more they knew about their home, the better I felt they were prepared for that decision. And that's all I cared about. I left it into the hands of the agent at that point. But the conversations always went that way. I also find that a good home inspector is a good entertainer slash storyteller that makes the experience of buying the home kind of fun. That especially that, you know, kind of scary part part where they're like, here's everything wrong with your house. And I've I've always appreciated my inspector. And I won't give them a shameless plug right now, but that to your point, right? It's not just the 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 nitty-gritty of the transaction, but it's like, hey, you're doing something fun here. Let's let's have some fun for this 
30 minutes that I'm doing an orientation of your house. Yeah. Well, and it was going. always, it was always a matter too, of like, you know, when people are buying a house inspection day is always like, oh, crap, you know, I'm, I'm getting really nervous about this and what's going to go wrong and how much is this going to cost me? You know? And I think I was always very careful too, because I did have the direct knowledge to tell people how much things cost as a repair. Right. But I never really gave hard numbers. I, I think you're doing an injustice to, first of all, that's outside your scope of work as an inspector. You're not supposed to be doing that, nor should you be telling people that. And then especially because people knew my background, they would always ask me, well, can you come back and do that? Well, look, as much as I would love to, that's against our, our codes and against our practices. So, you know, I, I get people that call me back now, you know, years have gone by and they say, Hey, can you come repair this? Cause they remembered the experience I gave them, which is great. But, you know, that's just not really what I do anymore. So how long did you do that? So how long were you an inspector, Anthony? A little over five years. And you started your own company, correct? Yeah. So Rose City Home Inspections was the name of the company. And that was... At the, at the peak. Well, give me give me an approximation of the years. Are we talking like 2015, 16? Uh, yeah. There? So it would have been, would have been 2000, 2014 through 2019, because we started okay. this company in 2018. And when there was about a year and a half of overlap. Okay. So, so some of our listeners very well may know exactly who you are as, and have used you as an inspector. Is that a fair yeah, hopefully, hopefully in a good way. Hopefully in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and it was your company, you owned it. What in the peak, did you have other people working for you, other inspectors, or were you just a one man show? So we came to a point where I was doing about 250 inspections a year. So I was doing quite a bit, you know, I was doing during the peak, you know, two to three a day on average. By yourself um, so, or did you have another inspector? Yeah, by myself. So okay. I, it came to a point where I wanted to have another inspector. The bottom line came down to me is that, yes, can they do the inspection? Sure. I can teach someone how to do that. I can't quite teach them how to have the impact with the buyers and the agents. So I always struggled with, it's my name and my reputation on the line. And if you come in and you give a poor report or delivery of that report, it ruins the name of the company. And so mm -hmm. I kind of stepped back and said, I would rather do this the right way, the way that I think it needs to be done, than bring someone else on and risk that potential failure or loss. Because look, you have your inspector, Joe, probably you've worked with them. I mean, you've got, you've, I guarantee you've cycled through many, right? And there's one have, that you've yeah. kept as your main person, right? But that's going to be the person you recommend more than anybody. And that's the person that you trust with your transactions, mainly because they've been through it with you. They know your approach with your clients. They know the type of clients that you work with, generally the types of homes that you're going to be in, right? So they know all of those things already, but it's it's the delivery and the approach that they have to not necessarily scare people off. Or they also will tell you straight up when something's wrong. They'll just say, hey, sure. this is a serious issue. Like You yeah. need to have other people come in and, and analyze that. You know, and, and when like, they say that, you, you, I take it seriously, like, because yeah. because they don't cry wolf. Like that's when mm -hmm. when my inspector says, "Look, you've got some serious things going on here." Then then I pay heed, and and our clients pay heed. So yeah. So let's talk about the transition to what you're doing now, Anthony. So tell us how that played out. You said 2018. What happened? So I mean, I was doing a lot of inspections from my house, and I was working from home prior to the pandemic, right? So I sat on my kitchen table, which was. Still to this day, the most uncomfortable chair and table I've sat at. I sat there for a year and a half working and writing my reports. So I'd get done with my inspections probably four to six o'clock at night. And I would write reports until 10 o'clock at night every single day. And I had two young boys at the time, my wife. We have a small three-bed, two-bath, single-story home. So it's like there's there's nowhere to go. And so the idea was like, well, let's look at getting more space. You know, you can look at moving, you can do all that. Not really an option at the time for us. 
You can look at doing an addition or a remodel, which is extremely traditional. That's how things have been done for a long time. You could look at ADUs. We're still fairly newish, right? But it was more like kind of the idea. Didn't need that. And then you looked at, you know, okay, I guess there's like a shed you could go do something into, right? So when you say define the difference for our listeners, because I've maybe I've mistakenly said you're in the ADU business, but now mm-hmm. you're 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 making a case that they're different. So is it because it's site built? Is that what makes it an ADU? Well, no. So I mean, you think about like there's categories, right? You have like additions and remodels, right? Like that's what we all know and what we grew sure, up with. Sure. Right? That's where you're adding to your structure. Okay. Sure. Adding to the structure, a new footprint, right? Could be you're not changing the footprint, but whatever. That's everything yeah. we know about construction. Yeah. Okay. ADU accessory dwelling unit, completely separated quarters, living quarters all by itself, completely separate Built from the main site, building. Is that the definition? No, I mean, there's builders here in Portland that build that build inside their warehouse and deliver it via crane. Okay. So, okay. And yeah, then that doesn't necessarily full, determine. Full bathroom, full kitchen. You can you can cook, you can... Yeah. So the, the, there's two key elements to it. Number one, it's a live. It's designated to be a living quarters, so meant to be lived in, like a habitable space. That's the terminology. Number two is that it generally, what makes it habitable is it has a bathroom, and then you could obviously add a kitchen and all that kind of stuff. But it would be everything you would think of designated like a living space. It's just small, and, that's, and that makes sense because the, the 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 by definition, it's dwelling unit. So dwelling right. means you can live there. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. Most of it's them, a tiny. It's a tiny home with a foundation. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so that's another clarification. So you have tradition, you know, traditional model, you have ADUs, you have tiny homes. Tiny homes are basically think of them as on a trailer. It's an it's an ADU on a trailer. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a, a very, right. very simplistic way to put it, but you know, that's kind of where it is. And then fourth category, sheds, like a storage shed. That's those are your categories, right? I mean, that's what it is if you're one or the other. So sheds have their own box that they live in, if you will, so to speak, of code, compliance, all those kind of things, right? ADUs have their own set of rules. Very, very, very similar to traditional building a new home. When I tell people you're building an ADU, just think about it. You're building a new house. I mean, you're going to basically apply by the same rules. There's some nuances in there, obviously. And then there's tiny homes that need to be roadworthy. So they need to go through ODOT and they need to go through different types of permitting processes. But again, similar things. So they all have their own subset of stuff, right? So we kind of live in the space between all of them. We're basically a hybrid of all four, if you will, right? So it all started because of the fact that these are the models that I looked at. I was trying to find out, well, where can I get more space? The tradition at, in 2018, and this is where the numbers are important to know, is that in 2018, and a, a traditional addition or remodel was averaging about $160,000. That was about average. Today, right now in the city of Portland is $296,000. So, I mean, it's fairly expensive. Not surprising. Not surprising that it's gone up tremendously since 2018 and COVID and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, we were like- Inflation too, right? Yeah. 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 So we we were out. We're like, okay, that's not going to work. So an ADU, ADU at the time was hovering around $100,000 on average. And today in Portland, the average ADU is $196,000. That's on average, right? Tiny homes are about $150,000. So, I mean, it's these are all kind of ranges, but that's safe to say that's about what the average is going to be. And then there's like your storage shed. You can go to a big box store, you can go to Costco, you can go anywhere, right? And build a storage shed for 5000 bucks. Right. Mm-hmm. And so none of those fit that bill of what we were trying to find. So I said, look, I have a construction license, I've been in construction most of my life. I'm a home inspector. Forget it. I'm just going to build my own. So I basically built a shed 
that was an office. Well, so it came in, it had electrical, had power running to it, insulation, flooring, had everything you would expect to have in an additional like room to your main home. Yeah. 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 I mean, everything that if you were to add on to your house, you would have in Mm -hmm. this space. Heat, Heat source. Yeah. So at that point I had a wall heater is basically what I had, a cadet wall heater. And so the only licensing that was required at the time for all of that was our electrical permitting. So that was fairly simplistic, went through all that, got everything done and boom, we had our first quote outdoor office. And that's, that's really where it came from. How many square feet was it, Anthony? I mean, I'm assuming, do you still live in that same house? No, we actually, oddly, we actually just moved about three months ago. Okay. Okay. We lived there for 10 years. Okay. And how many square feet was that? You, the that, the original unit was it was an eight by so. it was an eight by ten so it was eighty square feet. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. So you were your own first customer. That's great. I mean that yeah. shows the passion behind it and the necessity. And I think there is a certain size where you don't really have to go through a lot of the red tape on the permit for the structure. If it's under a certain amount, there was a trend many years ago that. All kinds of people were were doing this. And if you are within this size or less, you didn't really need to do anything, just build it. And if you want electricity, you got to get your electrical permit. Yeah. So in Oregon, 200 square feet is the magic number. So if you stay under 200 square feet, you don't have to get a structural permit for the, for the premises. So the rules, so when we started the company, I, I'm fairly analytical. So I, I like to have my information before I make decisions. And in this case, it was, we didn't know a lot of information because there wasn't, in, there's not a category for what we do. There still isn't today, right? And so we talked to all the counties around the Portland metro area, Clackamas, Multnomah, Washington, went to all of them and we went to the state. And we said, here's what we are. Here's what we're not. What do we do? Like, what do we need to do to apply for all of this? And so their first questions were, are people living in it? No, that's not, it's not meant for habitable spacing, right? Like if you go in and out of it, that's not habitable living. Like that doesn't count. Does it have a bathroom or plumbing was their main question. Does it have plumbing? I said, no, doesn't have plumbing to it right now. Like no direct line plumbing. And they said, okay, so how big is it? I said, we don't go above 200 square feet. I said, all right, what's your height restriction? So we went through all these questions. So all of our builds are very specifically catered to the bucket that we live in, right? So we don't go above it. We don't do anything like that. If you want to go above that, you go talk to an ADU builder or a traditional contractor and they'll build you something bigger and they'll go through the the normal means and processing, which is going to take months and planning and tens of thousands of dollars, right? So that was what we purposely were trying to avoid. And it wasn't because we were trying to skirt the rules. It was because we were like, look, we have an opportunity to do something at a quicker pace that this is really what people are looking for. They're looking for additional space. They don't need another kitchen or if they really wanted a bathroom, okay, great. Then they know how to go get all that. But this was something as an opportunity for a quick paced goal for them that they knew they were going to be working from home in a short amount of time that they had to get to. And they didn't have a year and a half to to work with for the contractor to come in, get the permitting, get the build, get all that stuff. So it, it was living with the parameters that we had. And so they said, well, you are a shed. You're a very nice shed, but that's what we have to categorize you at. And I said, okay, great. So then here's your set of rules, which means we don't go above a certain height. We don't go above certain square footage. We don't have you know, plumbing in them. We don't do certain things. Electrical and insulation and flooring and drywall, that doesn't count. None of that. That's just interior finishes. None of that counts towards it. So their direct verbiage to me was, 
what you do to the inside is of little consequence to us as long as you abide by the local rules and permitting that you have to do to get that. So for us, it's the same rule as if you were to install an exterior plug on your house. Basically the same thing, right? So that's very simple. Most people can do that you know, for themselves if they really had to, but most of the electric companies will handle that. So long story there, but the reality is that's that's kind of what we got into. So that first one, you're right, Joe, was that the first one was for me and I had no intentions of doing anything about it. And my wife took some pictures on Instagram and just kind of posted it. And some friends and family saw it and said, well, how do I get that? Yeah. They literally <laughs> said, well, and so like the first four or five, that's how they were built. And then we placed quote, like an ad in our church directory. It wasn't even an ad. It was just like, here's our name. And then boom, we had our first, what I would consider paid client, if you will, where we actually went out and built it for someone we didn't know. And then from there it was like, Hey, you know, maybe we could do like one of these every three months. Let's do like one a quarter. Because I mean, at the time, I'm still doing 250 plus inspections a year. And the houses that I were doing were not necessarily small homes anymore. You know, I had built up a good reputation and worked with a lot of good agents and brokers that are out there. Some of the top ones, I'm sure you guys all know. But, you know, it was, you know, I started doing, you know, 4,000 square foot up, you know, for homes. So a lot of those take time, you know, they're good homes, they're, they're well-built homes, lots of properties. So there's a lot of details to go through. And and so my time was very valuable. So I did this at night and on the weekends, building these things while I was doing home inspections. And I literally, I mean, there were, I did a job down in Salem area for these, they call them the So Sisters. They quit their jobs and all created a sewing business. So we built their first office for them where they could like do the sewing inside their, their office. I was up on the roof for like three days trying to get stuff done, doing roofing and, and framing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm getting calls to set up appointments to do home inspections for like the next couple of days. So, I mean, it's like, I'm literally nailing roofing down while I'm taking inspection report. You know, it's just, I mean, it, we did that for about a year and a half and we finally said, you know, should we consider doing this as a, as a business, like actually having a company that does this. And so we stood in that same kitchen, sat down on that same stupid kitchen table and, and went through it and said, okay, let's go for it. And then about six months later, I quit doing home inspections to do this full time and just committed to it. And I got my wife to eventually quit teaching. She was a elementary school teacher for about a decade, 12 years. And so got her to quit to help me out. And yeah, from there, we kind of never looked back. All that was right about late 2019 to early 2020. And so, you know, all so of you a sudden, got a little bump in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I guess it would have been what January 2020 is when COVID was really kind of like at its peak, right? When and everybody we, was home and everybody needed more space. They're either going to come to us, me and Joe and other realtors and buy more space, or they're trying to figure out how to create it at their house, right? Yeah. And so we went from three, three builds on order in December 2019 to 18 by the end of January 2020. So oh, it was crazy. like it spiked drastically. And then for almost two years, we were just trying to play catch up. Orders were coming in considerably faster than we could produce buildings. So from there, that's basically how we started it and how it grew very, very quickly. Are you talk the about, biggest? You talk about luck, luck meeting preparation, right? Like COVID. Yeah. People hated people. They didn't want to be near people. They needed their own space. We, we accepted working remotely. That's another big thing. Oh. How fabulous. And What's really neat is if you're classified as a shed or if you watch the insurance commercials, you know, your she shed or your he yep. shed or your man cave or whatever, that's great because really you don't have to adhere to very many rules other than setback rules. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe there's a 
a limit as to number of sheds one can have. Is there, do you know, let's say you own an acre and where I'm going with this is anytime you kind of play by the rules, you can modify it to however you want, right? Let's say you could have six of these things and you can line them all up together like a a choo-choo train and have like one of those rolling garage doors. And it's like, okay, I'm in the living room now and I'm going to walk out through this door and I technically have to go outside for like one foot, but then I can step into the TV room and then I can step into my yoga studio. I mean, you could do that, right? I mean, as long as they're not attached to each other, technically. Yeah. I mean, I mean have you ever done more than one on one property? Yeah. We literally just finished one, another one in, uh, up in Northeast Portland. So we call them his and hers. So a lot of times that's how they work out is that they both work from home and they both are looking for space. And so like in this particular one, he does like video editing for like TV and she's a mental health counselor. And so they have their two separations over there. And she actually added a kind of like a a room for her office and then like a little additional bump out for her like Peloton and treadmill. So she can have like a gym and a workout. Mm. And there's a, and this was something that I was telling my client before I even met you, Anthony, he had reached out to me and he was picking my brain. He's like, Hey, I've got this house. It's in Lake Oswego. And it's not a massive house. It's like 2,500 square feet, but it's in a very nice area. And it had a, I want to say a third or half acre lot, very, very nice lot. And he was asking me about, you know, what do you think of, of some type of ADU or shed situation? And I said, you know, there's there's this just inherent coolness factor to that, that I think will help your home's value. And 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 I truly believe that. Now, first of all, I do not have one in my house, but I, I've seen them and it is, it is, it is really cool to just be home and go, okay, I'm going to work. And you walk through your cute little yard and you open a door and you're in this, this space that's like, oh, it's, you know, it's like a little miniature house. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's where you spend your time and you've got windows looking at your yard. I mean, there, there's no doubt as a very experienced realtor that that adds value beyond what you spend on it. I truly believe that that gives, there's a return on investment for those, especially when you can build it, you know, efficiently and, and at a price which we haven't really talked about, Anthony. You you threw out numbers of the of of the other options. What mm-hmm. what's your average price on on your product? Yeah, so I mean, traditionally we we sit about a third of the cost of traditional like additions, remodels, something like that, of like kind of equivalent space. So our average in 2018 was just under twenty thousand. Right now we're upwards of our average client spends about forty six thousand five hundred. That's about their average build size. So we build them from eight by ten up to ten by twenty. So there's kind of all sorts of variants. You know, they add custom doors and windows. They add different customizers. So there's a lot of things that throw into variables on there. But that's sure. an all in price. We we're the only all inclusive person who does this or company that does this west of. Colorado than I know of. So our biggest model difference is that we handle the foundation site prep work. We do everything all included in that price where most people they'll buy that you can buy a kit and then it's up to you to figure it out from there. So you can DIY the kit, you can do the found whatever, but when you add in the foundation, you add in the electrical, you add in the ductless mini splits that we have, you add in the paint and you know all those things a homeowner is having to do basically what a general contractor would do or they're having to go find all these people which Good luck trying to find a contractor who's going to come do this foundation work for you or a contractor who's going to put on 
you know, a paint job on a shed, right? Like, or the electrical company is going to come out and wire. Like, they're, they're too small of jobs for all these companies to really care about. You know, unfortunately, the construction world at this point right now has been very spoiled when it comes to their jobs and the amount of money they can make on them. So for us homeowners, which we all are, we're consumers just like anybody else, the amount of dollar figure that it's increased is exponentially higher than what it's been in the past. And some of that was because of material costs. And you know, I'm not saying people are out to rip you off. The reality is things just cost more. And I think some people are in this mindset of, well, I mean, I could get, you know, my addition or, you know, I can get my kitchen remodel for $5,000. Cause I watched it on HGTV and you're going good luck. I mean, I, I haven't seen a kitchen remodel that's been really done well for under 75 grand in a while. You know, I mean, it's just things cost more money and that's just mm-hmm. the way it is. And so with us, because we're able to build everything in a warehouse and we're able to manufacture things, we're able to keep our costs down. We can kind of maintain our pricing to a fairly level point and kind of provide some options for people that allow a different perspective versus what you may traditionally go down. So are we 100%, you know, we cover everything? No, we don't. Our business for the first four years was nothing but custom work. Like that's all we did. So every job was a one-off. What we did is we consolidated what most people thought they were individually like, oh, I have this great idea and we'll build it out. Turned out to be very similar to what other people wanted to. So we have an online builder tool that we released in early 2022 that allowed people to go through and customize and build these out. And I tell people it gets you 80% of the way there. Now that may be your final product and you love it, but if you want to make some custom changes, totally fine. We can make those changes with that extra 20%. That's simplistic, right? But as far as your size, your layout, most of your options, all that's covered in that builder tool. And that really streamlined our ability to produce a much higher amount of these buildings rather than do one by one by one. So interesting. And somewhere along the way, Anthony, you were educating me that day when we played golf, by the way, that now you've come up with ways to have sinks and toilets. Now, not traditional plumbing, Mm -hmm. but I think what you told me was incinerator toilets Mm -hmm. and sinks that you fill with water. Like whether I think you it's it's a component that you pull out, Mm -hmm. take inside your house or to a hose, fill up and then bring back to the shed. Mm -hmm. Do you call them sheds? What do you call them? I mean, I call them backyard offices, studios. I mean, that's okay. probably a okay. more fair way to do it. I mean, we, some people would call them like modular, modular spaces, you know, it's, okay. that's okay. how we build them. Do those, and talk a little bit about that, Anthony, and talk mm-hmm. about how that works into the the definition of plumbing. Is that still considered not plumbing? Yeah. So a lot of people, they've come to us over the years and really talked about like, oh man, it'd be really nice if you had a bathroom, you know? And it's like, I think a lot of people, they glorify that probably bigger than it really is, right? I mean, you're 10 feet from your backyard, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like if you really have to go, then you can go. The really, the the important factor was we never did it was because we didn't, we didn't want to be an ADU builder. There's already a lot of good quality ADU builders and tiny home builders in Portland, you know, and I just, I didn't want to be a part of it. I wanted to offer something different. So when you add the plumbing element, which is think of it like a hard line from your house to this space, like an ADU on average, I mean, that can be easily well up over $500 a foot to add that line, right? And I mean, you're talking, some of these could be, you know, 100 feet, you know, in some cases, and that's just to run the line. That doesn't even include all the prep work, the permitting. I mean, it's it gets expensive really quick. Are you sure, sure. you really need a bathroom that bad, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about the dollars and cents, it was just like, well, that's a lot, right? So for us, we were going, well, okay, what are tiny homes or RVs or off-grid buildings, what are they using? 
right? You know, how are they getting through some of this stuff? And so we started to do some research to find out, well, you know, we actually had a client who built this and they ended up turning it into basically like a guest quarters for their in-laws, you know, and it's after the fact. So I mean, I'm not building it for that. I built them a shell. They finished it out and they actually added a it's, a, it's a sink with a pump. So it's got an electric pump. You plug it in and it has like a five gallon clean water tank and a five gallon gray water waste tank. So you go in, you wash your hands, do whatever you need to do. And then it all goes in that and you just empty that tank out and you can refill it. Now you can have the option to plug in like literally a water line. Water line going into the building is not the problem. Everyone cares about where the water goes. They don't want to, you know, deteriorate your environment. They don't want to damage anything. So it's not the water that comes in. That's all safe. It's where it goes. So you could hook up an, an endless water line with basically an instant water heater and you could have hot water and all those things. Then you just have to, you know, pick up your tank, which is about five gallons and go dump that down your sink. If that's what you want to do. And so again, this isn't meant to be like full living quarters. This is supposed to be sure. like, you know, sure. occasional uses. So you'll have enough yeah. water in there to last you three, four days at least easily. Yeah. And then the sink we went to and we found basically these incinerator toilets that, you know, there's composting toilets, there's incinerator, like not all are created equal, right? Like composting ones can be a little nasty. You know, they compost over time. Incinerators are not always created equal. So we actually are, are more or less good. We can dealer for a toilet that's made out of, I think it's out of Sweden is where it comes from but it's the best one on the market. And it literally can be, I think their rating is for a family of four for up to two weeks. It will produce literally like a hockey puck, ash puck after it's all said and done. So they can use it every day for two weeks for a family of four. And that's what it will produce. And because Mm -hmm. it incinerates everything, there's no viruses, there's no diseases, no bacteria. You could literally grab that puck and throw it in the garbage. Totally fine. Mm. Right. So Mm. these are some of the options we look at where mainly innovative. Yeah. And I kind of look at it more for like kind of off grid situations where Joe, you were talking about like chaining some of these together. Our vision is that, you know, if you have like land or space, you know, in central Oregon or, or somewhere out in wine country, you know, where you can create almost like a community hub of these and then have a central point, you could have like spaces that could be literally rented out Airbnb. They could be used for tasting rooms. They could be used for a wedding party where you could all go and stay. Like, so that's kind of where we see that really the value of that maybe less about like the everyday homeowner who's going to be in their backyard, who's 15 feet from their, their main home. Mm -hmm. You know, this is going to be someone who's going to be like, you know, Hey, I want to kind of have this in more of a remote location. You know, maybe they want it out in the woods. They want it near a lake and they just kind of want to be able to stop in there. Boom. There you go. You can have everything that you would need at that point. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the original tiny shed outdoor office person was the Rajneesh in Antelope. They had 30 or 40 or 50 of those little A-frame buildings. And then when they got blasted out of Antelope, they went up for auction. And we actually, my cousin got two of them and he uses them. We go duck hunting and he uses them (laughs) to store some stuff, just two little places. They dropped them right there. It was great. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I do like that idea of if there isn't a limit as to how many you can have, you can make each one be a separate room in a house, right? right? And if you were really on a budget, you can get like uh, you to go. You go to the Edgefield, you know, for an outdoor concert, and you just put a honey bucket somewhere and one of those sinks where you pump <laughs> with your foot, yep. and the water squirts out. 
Yeah, it was important for us, like when we looked at like the toilet and the sink, that they both look and feel like your everyday home. They don't look any different. They don't feel any different. That was really critical for us so that when we sell it as a package, it looks and feels just like your everyday home. Like it shouldn't be this, oh, now I feel like I'm living in the outdoors here, you know, like roughing it. I mean, these are really very well-appointed buildings. You know, they're very nicely done. They have all the options that you would expect to have. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what we really do. But you're talking about using them for different things. You know, I mean, I would love to say we had some creative plan on who uses them, but I mean, they're, they're yoga studios, art studios, home gyms, obviously offices. We've gotten really big into the medical field. So telehealth is a really big deal for a lot of people who, because of HIPAA laws, they can't just like have conversations out in the middle of their living room. They have to have a closed situation. So, you know, there's a lot of fields that we've really gotten into, but now recently it's, you know, accessory rooms. So, you know, you're talking about, it's like an office slash Peloton gym treadmill room. It's we're I'm, I have plans right now to build a golf simulator. So if I can get into the next street of dreams, we'll probably have a golf simulator that we're going to release. So it'll have a bay door that opens up. With with yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's supposed to be pretty sweet. You know, we'll have all that. We've had bars, you know, built out. So it's got flip up windows where it's literally a countertop indoor outdoor space that they can have open bars to, you know, I mean, really the, the sky's the limit on, on what it's used for. We just kind of look at it as it's a new world of opportunity for a lot of people that didn't know existed. And I think that's where people are finding that at the, at the price point, although we get a lot of pushback sometimes of, man, that's really expensive. I think a lot of times it's because they don't realize the expense of other options. You know, it's like, please go down and look down the other world. You know, it used to be, you know, this is where your guys' world came in. It used to be, I need more space. I move up in my house. Okay. Well, the prices of homes went crazy, right? The availability of homes is not there. Well, with mortgage rates locking people into their homes, that that must translate to, to some advantages for you, right? Yeah. So it's funny is that every time there's some sort of dip or peak, I guess, in home sales or or the rates or whatever, like whatever keeps people stuck into their homes only increases our business. When people are looking at moving, sometimes they're downsizing or they're looking at homes that they can now afford, which are generally going to be smaller homes, right? You go into Portland, there's a lot of homes between 900 and 2000 square feet, right? But they all have decent sized lots. Well, I mean, that may be what they can afford now. They really want a 2,500 square foot house, but it's like, at $700,000, maybe their budget's 450, you know. Well, now you can get into that 450, spend another 50,000 on this and have all the space you actually needed while maintaining your home without taking up one of the rooms that are so critical in your new home, right? So, we find that there's a lot of people that we're working with who are intentionally buying homes that are smaller to keep that budget cost down with the intention of adding this onto it so that they can have that with the main home. Now, the other side of that would be people who are looking at ADUs. There's an important distinction there. ADUs generally are for people who are looking to make income off of it. So like truly going to rent the space out. That's what they're really looking for. Most of them, or it's, they've got family members that are going to be living with them and they need more space. But an ADU is going to be someone who wants to make an income off of that space. Ours are going to be more generally related to the homeowner looking for their own space to be increased. So a little bit of a difference. And Anthony, did I see on your website, I I kind of perused it a little bit, but one of my secrets of podcasts is I don't really like to know too much because we can kind of explore all of this stuff for the first time with, with the excitement. But I thought I saw that you can offer financing on these, right? People don't have to write a check. 
and mm-hmm. say, hey, look, here's, you know, this is going to be 42 grand mm-hmm. here, cash out of my bank account. But so is it that you yourself offer financing or you direct them to a HELOC that they can take on their own home or a personal loan or tell me about that? Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, really in the last couple of years, especially when home prices have really skyrocketed, people were just sitting on piles of cash. Right. And before rates went up, I mean, it was like almost free money. So, you know, in the last two years, a lot of people chose the HELOC route. You know, they just pulled some money out of there because it was basically cost of nothing. And so as rates have increased, what we try to do is combat that with some financing options that maybe we stayed below what the interest rates were for their HELOC or for their main home. And so one of our partners right now we're working with are the bank is to have a program that basically it's six and a quarter up to seven and a quarter, and that's where it caps. And so you can get up to a hundred thousand dollar loan. That's with one of the banks that we're working with. And then we have more of a, what I would say a traditional financing option, which is like a, a partnership, like a third party vendor who's going to go out and shop some of that stuff. So they can do the financing through us. Probably, I would say by mid next year, I will likely have an in-house financing option. It takes a long time to set that kind of stuff up. Unfortunately, there's there's a lot of paperwork and jargon and and, and legal things that need to happen sure. for that to work. But it's a way for us to be able to offer the rates at whatever I say it is. I mean, I can be like, I don't care if the rates are at 12% mortgage rates. We offer it at four. Why? Because we're giving you the money. I, I, I mean, you're paying it directly. So that's ultimately where I see that going. In the short term, that just takes a lot of setup. You know, there's a lot of time that has to go into that. But yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised how many people have cash on hand, likely from their their home. You know, but there's been a lot of people who've been saving for doing something like this for a while, and this is the option they've chosen. We get a lot of businesses, so people who have their own company and their own their own business, what they're doing. And so what their options are is that they're coming through, saving that up as a company and then purchasing it as the business. And that's 100% write-off. So you know the difference with us is because it's a detached space. You know, you guys are in this world as well. You know, I'm not a tax professional, but we've spoken to many. Is that when you have a home office, you have to take a percentage of your main home and all you know all these kind of things and that calculates out, right? Which is kind of at a disadvantage because most people who are working from home, they kind of get stuck with it. You know, if there's any listeners who are out there, agents, you guys, a lot of you work from home in some capacity, right? You know, you pay a desk fee to be at your office, but when you work at home and you try to take that write off. You're the one furnishing itself. You're the one paying all those things. It comes out of your pocket and you're getting a very little return on that. Well, with these, because it's a separated, dedicated space, 100% of that building can be written off. So that's a fairly significant tax advantage. And you can also calculate that out over time for your business, right? So, you know, all of those things that are things that we would love to say we planned on have all just sort of kind of happened over time and they've really worked out to our advantage. And I think that's where we're seeing traction with a lot of people once they learn about what we are in realizing, oh, I can see how that can actually be a big benefit to us. And that's where, you know, talking to you guys as agents and brokers, you know, for me coming from that world, you know, Steve, you you and I had talked about it separately, but, you know, I think the values that you're adding to your home are fairly significant because you're able, you're able to offer a dedicated, professionally done space not a shed that's been retrofitted into some sort of office with a desk in it, right? A shed is always going to be a shed, no matter what you do to it, right? Ours mm-hmm. are not. I mean, if anyone has seen them or you see pictures of them, or if you go on a website or if you're at the Street of Dreams, I mean, people will say shed because they don't really know the other terms, what to say, and that's fair. But you would never put a lawnmower in this. You would never be like, oh, I'm going to go store some stuff inside there. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these are mm-hmm. very, very nice spaces. And so I think how we present that 
allows people to see in their own mind how they can take advantage of something like that. And that's where we see the creativeness in our, in our clients. Anthony, I have a couple of questions for you. HOAs, do you run into problems with HOAs where they will not allow them? I wouldn't say I run into problems with them. I think HOAs are a thing, right? I think most HOAs, what I've found is they're trying to deter the boats and the RVs and the gaudy reconstruction of the, of the main homes, right? Like they're trying to, you know, they're trying to make sure that you don't paint your house bright green in the middle of a, a you know, home like that or something like that's really sure. what they're there for. And so a lot of them, when you read the bylaws, it says you're allowed to have a shed or a storage shed, but you're not allowed to have an ADU. You're not allowed to have a living quarters because they're trying to deter people like random people from coming into the neighborhood. That's kind of like what the idea was. Well, we are a shed. So if you have an HOA that says you're allowed to have a shed, we are a shed. We are classified as that. Does the architectural committee usually have to approve them? So usually that's where we come in and we say, okay, usually we have to match like door and windows, like kind of stylistically Mm -hmm. slope of roof, siding, paint color. All those are very simple things for us to do. So that's why most HOAs, when they go present it to an HOA, they just shut them down because the HOA doesn't know any different. They think it's a what would you call it? an ADU or they think it's some sort of tiny home because they don't know what it is. And so that's where the education aspect of it. So we usually have to end up writing some sort of document that says what we are. Here's pictures of it. Here's kind of what we do. And then even then sometimes HOA presidents or board, whatever, they kind of get on their high horse and dictate what happens in the neighborhood. And we're going, you'll allow them to put a shed in and convert it over, but you won't allow us, which is a professional company to come in, make it look like the home, make it look like it was always supposed to have been there, but you won't let us do that because you're just uninformed as to what we do. So that's why we we try to work with them as much as we can, try to educate them on what we do, how we do it, show them examples of things that we've done in the past. And usually at that point they kind of get over it. You know, they just it's just really Have important you had that they match situations it. Situations where you where you just hit a roadblock and you couldn't get through it. But there's still really only I mean off the top of my head, there's really only one that I can think of. And a lot of it had to do with I think more the client and the HOA. You know, I think huh. they were kind of butting heads on the size and where they wanted to put it because they were basically dictating where it went in the property as well and the foundation they use. And again, we can match all of those things, but the homeowner didn't want that. Didn't didn't want it where it was going to go. And they just kind of said, I don't really want to deal with it. Do setback rules apply? Yep. Yeah. So yep. easements, easements, setbacks, yep. those are all things. So it's, is that the same rule as a as the house or is it different for sheds? No, definitely different for sheds. Okay. If it was an ADU, it'd be different. Generally speaking, the state has their guidelines, then the counties, and then the cities, and then HOAs within that, right? So like, I'm pretty well informed on most all of them. In your most basic form, most of the counties adopt what the state has. The cities like Westland, Lake Oswego have kind of their own little nuances. Sometimes they kind of like to put their foot Mm -hmm. down on certain things. It's just kind of the way they are. If you're incorporated or unincorporated kind of changes things. But, you know, for the most part, it's usually like a three foot to a five foot easement from the property line. Most of the time that's a fence, you know, it's kind of where it goes. If it was like a main home, you know, yeah, then it's, you know, you're going to have, you know, if it's an ADU, you're going to have a different set of rules altogether. And that's because it's Mm -hmm. got a permanent foundation. And that's where Joe, you were talking about how many you can put on a property. So like city of Portland has generally rules that state the percentage of your lot can only have so much like square footage of stuff on it. And so like sometimes they kind of dictate that. So, but we do all that homework for our clients. So that's all kind of front end work. We don't expect them to know any of that information. We know right where to go. We know right where to look at all that and verify it so that 
heaven forbid your neighbor who you don't get along with gets pissy that you put in a nice new building and they don't like it. They can't come back to you and be like, you need to move it. I don't like it. It's like, well, we followed all the rules. We've done everything we're supposed to do. Sorry. You know, I I see, I see six of these all right in line with each other (laughs) that all share the same huge deck (laughs) and they all have, you know, doors where you can go out the side of one and into another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's really fabulous. There's so many fabulous things about this because you can, A, it's its own separate entity. So you can write off everything, the electricity, the heating and cooling, the building itself. It's just a massive write-off, which is great. The other thing is, and realtors are are very guilty of promoting a view. You know, this house has a view of Mount Hood. Well, it's while you're standing on the toilet, looking out those tall rectangle (laughs) windows, only in the months of November to January, when all the leaves are off the tree, you can see the top quarter inch of Mount Hood. Hmm. But- Every once in a while, these properties, it's like if you stand right here, you could see Mount Hood framed and it's beautiful. Why not put one of these right there with French doors that open up that you can sit there and take in that view and do your work? And mm-hmm. that's great. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. yeah, we've done that. We've done a few that are definitely very scenic spots, you know, that's Recently, I think with the HELOC and the, and the access to money for a lot of people over the last year and a half or so, we've done a lot with like landscape companies. So we'll work with them on designs where they're redoing the whole backyard because most people, they just, the percentage just showed you guys will have these numbers better than I will, right? I just look at what I see in the field every day is that a lot of people are having to stay put and they're having to come up with different ideas. Or if they do find that home, it's a long struggle, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's rare that I feel like you find that first one and it's like, boom, there it is. You know, I mean, it seems to be that people are changing their plans a little bit as rates increase, you know, it just becomes a reality, you know? And Mm -hmm. so they still need that same solution though. It doesn't change the fact that they need more space. And that's why they were looking in the first place. Sometimes it's, they don't really want to move. They just, they need more. And that's just what it is. And, and when it comes to the backyard, it's an untapped environment for a lot of people. Most people in their backyard, is just kind of space that they go through and they maybe do barbecue on the deck. And then the yard, they just kind of like pay a yard service or they go out and mow it. They don't use it. You forget that's that's prime real estate for you to make living options available. So, I mean, that's where you see like these outdoor patios and outdoor furniture and pergolas and all these things that are being created because they're realizing this can be an extension of your living space. You know, in Mm -hmm. Oregon, it's tough because obviously, you know, it rains a lot, but even then, you know, you can have heated outdoor spaces, you can have covered outdoor spaces. And so I think that's going to be like your big evolution of homes in the next probably few years, because you, you get a lot of these big box homes that are right on top of each other without a lot of yard space. And I think that's great, you know, for people who are looking for space, but we live in Oregon. It's a very scenic place, right? And and a vast majority of the homes that I see have lots on them that are just sort of untapped dead spaces. Well, you put this out there and you create a landscape around that. I mean, we've had one where it was like a four-tiered waterfall. The guy redid, he spent $200,000 on the landscape before we even came in. You know, and mm-hmm. then you put the building up on top right over the waterfall and it tears down to like a patio down on the bottom. I mean, your heart's desire with some of these things, right? But you can't tell me that didn't add significant value to that. Well, and home. it becomes a view from your house, right? Yeah. That was one other thing I told my client that was asking about this. I said, if you do this right and you put it in a visible area of your of your yard, 
with nice landscaping and, and really make it charming looking. It's all, it almost looks like enchanted forest in your backyard, right? Just, it's, it's just, just little picturesque little, you know, paradise back there that, that tremendously beyond the, the functionality of it itself, it improves the quality of your house because now that's your backdrop. Right. So, yeah. And it's important to know too, is like, you know, we've, we've seen enough of these now where we've seen them. And I, I, again, I am not a licensed real estate agent. That's your guys' world, not mine. So I can't speak specifics, but we know that factually on the numbers that we've seen for the homes that have sold with these on them, they're getting about a dollar 25 to a dollar 50 in return for every dollar they spent into it. So mm-hmm. as far as I additional value to the home, you know, you're getting, and most remodels, you're hoping to get somewhere around 75%. You know, we're seeing somewhere around 125 to 150% return. And that's just because the way that our environment has changed as far as economically people working from home and, and seeking space, this is now a very viable option for a lot of people. And I mean, we get a lot of people who've come to us who've said, we are looking for a home with this on the property or a home that we can add it to it. And that, I mean, we get a lot of calls like that. And I, I would imagine for a small company like us, agents are hearing the same thing. You know, I, I can't imagine that we're the only ones that we're uniquely hearing stuff along those lines. Or frankly, a lot of agent brokers don't even know we exist. So hopefully, you know, that will help. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's in everyone's benefit. It's not, I don't look at this as like, oh, here's some great sales pitch. I never want to come across as some sales guy. I hawk in cars. Like, I don't care. You know, for me, it's more about we had a need. That's why we built the first one. That's all I care about is that other people have the same need. And if they can, if they can get an option that's affordable to them where they can get a solution for what they do, I think as an agent or a broker, if I was in your shoes, why would I not want to offer that? Because eventually, seven years from now, when they go to sell their home, traditionally, that's what it's going to be. They're going to call you again because they trusted what you said to them the first time. This is where sometimes I probably know a little too much information about your guys's world to be a little too dangerous to our clients. Meaning like I can very quickly position ourselves with the brokers and the agents to have a mindset with our clients that they may not be thinking about where you look like the hero. And all of a sudden it's, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I'm very thankful that you brought something like that up. Right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. All, all we're all trying to do is make our clients happy. That's honestly all we're trying to do. If you're, if you're worth your salt, you know, if you're worth someone who really like, that cares about your people, that's what you're ultimately about your relationships. If you burn that bridge, you only get one chance at it, you know? And the last thing I want is you know, my name to be dragged through the mud or any of our brokers. And, you know, to be very honest, I don't really have the luxury because my dad was in real estate for so long. I know a lot of the agents and brokers. I came from home inspections. You know, I mean, I had probably a list of 2000 agents and brokers that I know. And it's like, the last thing I want to do is, is come across as someone who's selling a, a book of garbage, you know, and I just, it's not worth Anthony, it. One of our listeners, Lynn Gibbons has asked, what is your, can you post your website? What is your website? It's outdoor-office.com. So like outdoor-office.com. Thank you. Hey, a yep. couple of last questions and then I want to transition from there. Mm-hmm. How many employees do you have now, Anthony? We have seven in-house right now. Where we got literally next week, we'll have three more. We're looking to expand into Southern California and up and down the West Coast. So we'll Interesting. have- We'll have probably a group in Seattle, a group in North LA, a group in San Diego, probably Bay Area as well. So a couple of years out. But... Like a home builder, you contract out a lot of stuff too, right? Your electricians and so on, or do you have that in-house? Yeah. So we do everything in-house. That's okay. also a critical factor for us is that we want to make sure that we are not 
a traditional construction company. And if, if you've ever done an addition or a remodel, you know exactly what I mean. You have the porta potty sitting out front, you have the lumber delivery that sits in your driveway, and you've got multiple contractors coming in and out every day who you don't even know what they do half the time, right? And we don't want any part of that. And the reason we don't is because we're offering a product, a service that is very untraditional. And we want to act that way too. We want to be a full service, nonstop. Anyone who shows up on your property, your clients know that they work for outdoor office and that's exactly who they talk to. You know, it's like there's never a loss in translation. Every day they know what's happening. Every day they know who is on site. If anyone has a question, they talk to someone who works for us directly. I think that's an important factor. Gotcha. How many builds are you going to have this year? Approximately. Just just throw a number out. I'm curious. 45. 45. Okay. We got a real estate question. Um, we do, and I want to transition. Yeah, that, Brian that's, Belair's, and it's it's written interesting, so I'll try and decipher it. But I think the question is: Is there a point at the end of the season when it's rainy and times are gray and the rates are high, where you just advise your clients not to reduce prices because in the near future the market will improve six months later and and it eliminates the need for that reduction entirely. Do you think I deciphered that right? I, I think you did. I did. Actually, I just I just had coffee with a builder that I work with, a good builder, Riverside Homes, this week. Let's just talk about the 800-pound gorilla or the elephant in the room, whatever you want to talk about it. The market has dramatically slowed, right? I think in the last 45, give or take days, 60 days, 30 days, whatever you want to say, I mean, and guys, rates hit 8% for the first time in 20 years today. There's hard, fast evidence of this, and there's a the hard, fast reason why. I, I met with one of my builders, and that same question was proposed. They normally through, they have, I think, six or seven subdivisions, including one I'm about to do a grand opening on, and this will be a shameless plug. We are doing a grand opening, Shoals Meadow. It's right off Roy Rogers Road. It's a huge community, Riverside Homes. There's going to be about 80 homes. It's just south of Mountainside High School. Please come visit us if you can this weekend. We're doing it right. We have some big giveaways and blazer tickets and big baskets and all sorts of fun stuff. But had had coffee with him. They normally sell 10 houses a month. And and when I say sell, they, they put into escrow 10 houses a month. They said they did two last month. So do the math. That's a big drop. That's not a 50% drop. That's a, you know, that's a substantial drop, much more than that, 80% drop if, or something along those lines. One of the questions we talked about was, does it make sense now to drop prices or are you just, is the demand so tepid that even a price drop isn't going to bring people out there? Now, obviously there's there's exceptions to that, right? If you drop your price to a dollar, you're going to sell the darn house. But, and that was a debate that they were having and, and it's a challenging question. I think what I would say to Brian, and he's talking a little bit more about seasonality than the market, but I think they're playing a role and Heck, we might be heading into that special time where both intersect, right? You have seasonality and a bad market. I would say get the price down. This is my thoughts. Get the price down. Even if the buyers aren't in the market right now, maybe they're sitting on their hands because they're going, scratching their heads and going, what the heck is going on with rates and, and the market in general? When they return, and we don't know when that will be, you want to be a, a compelling price. What's your thoughts on that, Joe? Absolutely. Take advantage of, look, everyone likes a deal. Everyone likes a, to get a W in their column and, and call it a win, right? There is a price for each and every house on the market today that matches our current market. 
Now, the sellers may not necessarily love that price because 18 months ago, 12 months ago, they would have had a dozen offers and it would have escalated 100 grand over, over list price. But tomorrow's not promised. Yesterday was history. All we could deal with is today. On this one, you're better off pricing it to the current market because this may not be seasonal. And you know what, Steve, I, I've said this a few times before, you and I are a little bit at a disadvantage because whatever we say is immortalized here on our podcast. But if you look back to the start of the year, there's a couple of things we said that relate to the market. We predicted an inventory increase. We predicted a listing decrease and a pending decrease. I said the biggest obstacle for company owners is keeping the lowest tier in the business. If they were doing like 4 million or less and in a white hot market, well, when the market tightens up, having those guys duplicate that is pretty difficult. And then they have to decide, do they stay in the business or are they gone because of attrition? And we've sort of predicted this slowing down and the rates are not coming down anytime soon. And yes, today it did go above 8%. And because our rates rose so quickly in such a short amount of time, it completely killed the demand. There's shocked, not a lot. It just shocked the market. It just Not a whole lot happening yeah. right now unless you are priced very competitively. And then- mm -hmm. Of course, all the buyers will sort of fight for it at that point, but a lot of sellers don't want to do that, what they consider to be like a pretty short haircut from where they were dreaming. But you might want to get ahead of this one because you don't want to be in in April or May saying, gosh, darn it, I should have sold it last year when I could have got $75,000 more, but I didn't know at the time that I should have took it. That's something I've been ta talking to my sellers about is like, look, guys, during COVID, there was inflation in housing. I mean, let's be clear. Prices went up 30, 35% in a matter of a couple of short years. We now know, looking back, that was inflation. What is the Fed trying to do? They're trying to stomp out inflation. So it's not unthinkable that we're going to lose some of that value in, in the housing market. So regardless of what the sold comp last week or last month or six months ago sold for, you need to be compelling compared to the active comps. You need to be under or that's your best place to be is under the active comps so that you steal their buyer today, right? There is real buyers out there. Let's be clear. Housing is always needed. There will always be a market for housing. People aren't going to suddenly live in tents. They might live in she sheds though, Anthony, and, and you're fulfilling a need there. But so those real buyers in the market, they're looking at the active comps and they're going for the one that's most compelling and that's where you want to be. And don't assume that six months from now that there's not a disruption to pricing and to, and to this market. I heard an interesting stat on CNBC the other day. One of the, one of the people that was on there said, look, somebody who bought a house two years ago at say 3% or high twos, that same house at that same price with today's mortgage rates at 8%, that's right, they're 8% today, needs to pay 50% less to have the same payment than what that person paid for it back then. 
That's a scary statistic when you stop and think about that. And they and, have and to make scary two and a half. They have to make two and a half x in annual income to be able to qualify to buy that same house. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not when we did the podcast back in May of 2022, and we had our wonderful panel of superstar females, Joe. Yeah. We rates were going up but they were still around five. And one of the things we talked about on that show is like, look, you know, the housing market can support a little bit of this, but if they get close to eight, it's hard to imagine that's not going to affect pricing. And well, here we are today. And people are going to hunker down because no one wants to buy a house at 8%. And the people that locked in at two five don't want to give it up. And they're going to call Anthony and go, hey, I just had three more kids. I need three new she sheds in my backyard. That's right. One, you know, <laughs> a tiki bar. You got to have one of them be a tiki bar, yep. right? You know, where you can get out there and watch football and have your big screen TV. And let's face it, people want their garages back. So they call Anthony and they have one of these, these outdoor offices. And then they move out of the garage into the office. And then they can park their car and their canoes and kayaks mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. funny in real estate. I mean, obviously this is your guys' world, not mine, you know, but I mean, one of the lessons I learned at a very early age is your house is only worth what someone's willing to buy it for. So it really mm -hmm. doesn't matter what the market is, is that if you're overpricing your house and this is just, take my opinion for what it is, which is zero at this point right now, right? But, you know, it's an interesting question is that it, it applies to us as well. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, how far can we push until people aren't willing to pay for it anymore, right? Well, ours is less forced on the interest rate. Ours is more based off of just what people are willing to pay for a product. It's like buying a car, you know, and with with homes and all these things after us just going through this a few months ago, you know, buying a new home, you know, it's like, yeah, we're feeling the interest rate. I went from a 2.1% interest rate to a seven and a quarter, you know, and it's like, people are going, why would you do that? It's like, well, I have needs that I have to do as well, you know, and they had a mm -hmm. very unique situation where this home came up and that's what we did, but we had been planning it for years and it was time for us. And so that's what we did. We just have to eat mm -hmm. it and we'll wait for it to come down again at some point, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is, and we'll just eat what we're doing right now and we'll go from mm -hmm. there. But in, in real estate, you know, it's, it's one of those things I always looked at, you know, people, sellers in particular, get really offended when you tell them that pricing has to go. I mean, I I've sat in so many conversations in the client's living room with my dad, where he's sitting there trying to convince these clients that they need to lower the price of their home. And the refusal is just, they're livid. Like, how dare you come to me and tell me my house is, my house is not worth this? You know, and it's mm -hmm. like, the reality is, this is what the market will bear for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And you're not losing anything until you sell it under what you owe. You're not losing anything. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you got to get over the fact that emotionally your buddy down the street sold his two years ago and made four hundred thousand dollars. Well, good for him. Maybe you should have sold it two years ago. Right. But the reality is right now it's like, hey, you're still up. You're still ahead. How bad do you really want to move into that next house and just go say, hey, look, here's what it's going to be. Take it, move on, go to the next stage, right? Like mm -hmm. now that's just my own little opinion on it. But I always find it funny is that as agents, I know personally, I've seen that pain of having those conversations of like, look, here's the reality of the market. The last thing you want to be is sitting here for six months. You're going to go find another agent and you're going to cycle through more brokers because you think I'm the problem. And then you're going to go through this and that market's it's going to go on, on market, off market, on market. You know, it's like, it just has this cycle. And it's just kind of like what you both said is, in my opinion, again, I'd be like, just put it to where it needs to be, get a, get a fighting bid for it and move on to the next, right? I mean- mm -hmm. 
I would say there are probably very few circumstances right now where the, where the interest rate is climbing that people bought the house where they would be in danger of losing money on that house. I just don't see mm-hmm. how that's possible over the last few years because pricing unless has they gone bought up. the last couple of years. Unless they yeah. bought in the last couple of years. Yeah, maybe when they pied at the peak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey, Anthony, have you seen a slowdown in your business in the last year or 18 months or is it? Well, to be very honest with you, we're the 27th fastest growing privately owned company. So probably not. Yeah. I'm probably yeah. a bad example. I could see some of the challenges that you have where, you know, because HELOCs are more expensive. Mortgages are more expensive. People aren't redoing redoing their first to 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 put a to put your product in the backyard. I can guarantee all but guarantee you that, right? Mm-hmm. But I can also see where some that that's being countered by the fact that they do want to stay where they are and they need more space. And so I yeah. can see where you are 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 gaining in that. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting, Joe. This is just my prediction, and I put I made a post on Masters here about this in the last three weeks or so. I think when the October armless action report comes out, I think you're going to see you're going to see a you know cataclysmic change to numbers. Something akin to probably the month after COVID started or two after COVID started when just demand just flushed out of the the business. And it's going to be I think it is going to be an interesting winter and I would encourage all of our listeners to Hunker down, get your get your houses in order, and you know just expect that demand is going to be very very low comparatively to where it's been. There's no one statistic to hang your hat on, but what I found fascinating in the most recent statistics, you compare two of them side by side. We went down last month fourteen percent on new listings, and the month prior we went down seven percent on new listings. Yet our absorption rate went from 2.4 to 2.9. So we're building inventory with less stuff coming on the market. And what that means is stuff ain't selling. Yeah, That's the only reason is we have more inventory because stuff that's listed takes longer to sell and it's just kind of sitting there. So yeah. One one thing that's interesting too, Joe, I was talking about recently, this time around, unlike 2010 or 2009, the rest of the overall economy the, thus far, and that could change, no, make no mistake, is fairly healthy. It's got, it seems to still have some legs. So I won't be surprised if in the coming six months to a year, if we don't see a, a pretty healthy exodus out of the business. And, and why I say that is because there are other jobs out there. In 2010, I remember quite distinctly, people weren't leap flooding out of the business because there was there were the economy there was unemployment was like 10%. So I mean there just weren't other jobs to go to. So people were trying to tough it out as much as possible. But there are alluring jobs out there for a lot of people in this business. And by the way, this business, as bad as real estate has seems to have kind of turned a little bit here in the last month or two, the mortgage business has been crickets and and going through this far mm-hmm. worse for upwards of a year plus. So it really is an interesting time. There's going to be a, a lot to to take in and, and observe and observe. And yeah, we'll, we'll, lose, to... we'll lose a third. We'll lose a third of the realtors, a third of the lenders. And, you and know, the whole every... thing with NAR is also going to add, exacerbate that issue. Because I think there's going to be concern about the health of the profession in general that could also 
tempt people to just give up. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. And hey, we right, should wrap well, up. Get your garage not, back. <laughs> get your garage back. Call Anthony. Have him put a little entertainment center in your backyard. Maybe two of them. Maybe string them together like a train, which I still love that idea. We'll post all of his relevant information, his website, his podcast, and we'll blast it to everybody via email. And it takes about a week, but this will be on everywhere you listen to podcasts in about a week's time. You know what to do with the like and subscribe. And that's all I got. Any parting words, Anthony? No, I appreciate you guys letting me come on here. Obviously, you know, being a real estate podcast, it's been it's been fun for me. It kind of brings me back to maybe some of my youth a few years ago. And, you know, the the simple rules all still are the same thing. You know, I mean, I've I oddly I've been around real estate for longer than probably people you've hired as agents, right? You know, I mean, I've been around it for 30 years, you know, and I've seen the highs and I've seen the deep lows, you know, I've seen it with my dad, you know, personally, you know, I've seen the markets go and change and it ebbs and flows quite a bit. And it's funny, you're talking about, you know, people, you know, starting to suffer here and some of these agents, you'll probably lose quite a bit of them, you know, and I think it's easy to sell when things are hot. It's really hard to sell when things are not right. And, you know, I think with us is that we are seeing a steady increase year over year, kind of regardless of what's going on with all these changes. I think we're, we're starting to see that and I would encourage people to just look at, stay involved with your clients and and the people that you're working with and p- potentially present another option for them. And they could be just as happy. And when things turn around, they're going to turn right to you to sell their home again, you know, and they're going to, they're going to want you to go find them a new one. And so, you know, I think looking at things maybe a little bit more creatively, I think it's probably going to be a really good option for a lot of these people who are starving for business or who are really looking to project themselves out as a progressive agent. Right. So my own two cents, Absolutely. you know, obviously, yeah. but you know, love it. Love it. You know. Okay. Anthony, let's get out and play some golf, by the way. Sounds good. Anyone's out there. Nice ready. Weather coming up. Hey, yeah. thank you for being on the show. You bet. Thanks guys. Yeah. I appreciate what it. A, what a great guest host. You are, you're full of information and a relevant topic for today. Really a great episode. Uh, uh, Very well sure spoken too. You can tune tell in you're while you're cleaning your toilets yeah. or driving yeah. on a long distance. Uh, yeah, happy, happy to be a roadside companion, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Washington's number one show for cutting edge real estate discussions. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the members of Masters in Real Estate, a private and exclusive Facebook group, and the number one source for all real estate topics. Thanks for being there, gang. I love you. Finally, I want to thank our faithful listeners. Without an audience, we're just two guys talking to each other. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so the new episodes automatically come to you. Make it great.